This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Hello everyone. Takaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz. いや言うの空見光る花見出した名付け世のない時間の場所に紙飛行機みたいにフラフラ飛び込んで空の色が変わるのを見てた遠く見聞こえた遠ぼえと歴一本の子供挟んで姿 好きなだけ喋って好きなだけ黙って曖昧なメロディ一緒に誘ったやりたいことがないわけじゃないはずだったと思うけど思い出そうとしたらえ顔と溜め息の言葉かり目きっとない頃ままでも大丈夫僕ら
て冷やっていうの残撃に囲まれて覚えて慣れてベストを尽くして聞こえた気がしたとうとうトップ歴曖昧なメロディ一人でなぞった言葉に直せない全てを紙飛行機みたいにあの時二人で見つめたレンズの向こうの世界へ投げたんだそうそうじゃない未来に立って僕だけの機能が積み重なってもその機能の下の変わらない景色の中からここまで繋がってる毎このままでも大丈夫僕らはどこへでも行けると思う君は笑ってた僕だけそうだはい。So, yeah, I think much like Sohei, I was, I was raised in like a Japanese environment, so I would say I'm more Japanese.、Um, but yeah, what do I study? Oh, I study history in Japanese <laughs> at the university, yeah. That's so cool, like, so diverse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So, let's talk about your studies, because you did briefly mention about what you do. You want to start, Emika? So, when I left high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and the one thing I really liked was history. So、um, I started studying history 
here at Otago, I guess. Um, and there's a really cool lecturer at uni. Um, he's Japanese, and he studies, like, Japanese, like, history and, like, French history. So I'm, I'm going to do my honors with him starting next semester, mm. which would be pretty cool. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And you, Sohei? Oh, the reason why I studied dentistry? Yeah. Oh, um, actually, I came to Otago on the sole purpose of studying dentistry Ooh. and I did first year health science but unfortunately there's a test called UMAT and it was quite difficult for me and I didn't get through first round so I did a undergrad of physiology first and finally got into dentistry but I think the biggest reason I really wanted to do dentistry is the fact that there's like um, I love the patient-doctor interaction, so just meeting people every day. Um, I try to do a little bit of research in my final year for my physiology degree, but even then, it was really hard to keep on pushing myself because it's like doing research is like studying into the void, like you don't know the end goal and stuff. Mm. Whereas I feel like with seeing patient patients every day and stuff, it keeps me motivated every day. Mm. And the second reason would be I love to use my hands, so like being practical so when I thought about all those things combined together I was like yeah I gotta study dentistry it's like must be my job I have to do yeah, yeah. and if you're feeling like that's your purpose mm-hmm. as well that's that's amazing yeah. you know not a lot of people realize that in their life yeah thank you hey <laughs> and you Jess um so I wanted to study psychology um I knew like in the last few years of high school And I guess I was drawn to it because, well, initially I was thinking about clinical, um, but through studying that I've realised I'm not too, like, into that stuff. But even just, like, in everyday life, I guess I think about psychology a lot. And being an introvert, I think I like reflecting on, I don't know, just, like, people and, like, why we do the things we do. And I guess through psychology... I would like to help just, like, improve people's lives. Mm. And I'm not too sure what that is yet. I think I'm more drawn into the child development, and I like children, so I think I'm more interested in being an early childhood teacher. Oh. But I think psychology is just, like, good for my curious mind. And I guess we only, like, brush the surface, but I like learning about, like, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and what's your minor? And my minor is criminology. And I don't think, well, like in the workforce, I don't think I'll apply it. But again, it's just good to study different things. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm really like curious about the sociology or um, criminal justice system. And before I started studying it, like I had no idea. Yeah, what it was about. So, thank you for all that. And you guys did briefly talk about your cultural identities, which is very, very diverse. Um, so, I'm interested to know what does it mean to be Japanese with your mixed selves, you know, and how do you define that to other people? Um, I guess as a child, it was hard because I guess what our mixed culture kids, they usually say growing up, it was hard to find where you belonged because in Queenstown, I guess I was lucky we had a small Japanese community. So in my age group, there was a few half Japanese people and Japanese Kiwis who like were brought up in Queenstown. So we made a Japanese school oh. where we learned a bit of the like reading and writing <laughs> Although I'm not too good at it now. But that was good to find 
a place where everyone was like similar because mm. I guess growing up in Queenstown there's just a lot of like Pakeha more European people that sometimes you feel out of place if you look Asian and it's hard to find like where your Japanese identity fits into that. What is it like growing up in your family? My dad can't speak any Japanese so I guess we had to um, we have to like integrate English more so that he's not left out of the conversation <laughs> so I guess I think because of that it's sometimes harder to just speak Japanese with my mum although we like try to like speak a bit of Japanese at home Mm, yeah and how long did it take for you to accept that part of you that cultural identity it actually wasn't until I came to uni I think apart from the international students there weren't any Asians at my high school it was just a very like small school mostly Pakeha students and I didn't really connect with my Japanese identity then I think it was when I came to uni, it was, I guess that's when I started questioning my identity and sort of who I identified with. And Mm. I guess through that meeting, other Japanese people helped to accept myself as like Japanese. And now I see myself as like both Kiwi and both Japanese. Yeah, thank Mm. you for sharing that. Um, Suhei? Yeah, actually, um, after listening to Jess, I was like quite moved because I realised that Jess Jess and I are quite similar in how you identify you realize your identity around university life so a uh, quick background my i speak uh, japanese at home because my stepdad is also japanese so it's like at home i speak japanese but when i go outside i speak english so in high school and stuff i definitely struggled with my cultural identity with regards to how i it was really hard for me to relate to my high school New Zealand European friends but also it was really hard for me to relate to the Japanese international exchange students because both of them were quite in a way like each ends of the spectrum and I struggled so much but when I came to university I realised that there's so many people similar to us in terms of people that were born in New Zealand but they have their different culture background I don't know like people I met so many people in dentistry met some people in um, physiology degree health science or my culture college or like just international clubs as well and I think that's when I was like oh I'm really happy with being myself and I realized like the good things well I didn't realize it back in high school but I realized that having two different identities such a strength because you get to see same thing but with two different perspectives and now I'm really proud of my cultural identity in terms of being a New Zealander and a Japanese and hopefully a little bit of Chinese (laughs) eventually in the future yeah that's exciting, yeah. And you did mention about like the challenges you faced figuring out where you fit, right? Yeah, what yeah, was yeah. one of those challenges, if you um, can remember? It was really, it's like, um, I think in high school especially, it was really hard because I think there's a tendency for um, Asian households to be quite more strict and maybe like more curfew or... Uh, just you know just general lifestyle uh, more focus on study and stuff so when I try to hang out with my um, New Zealand European friends they'll be like always chilling having like sleepovers and stuff but mm-hmm. my parents would be like no you gotta stay home and do your study and stuff <laughs> so I was like I always felt kind of like left out from the group in a way because you know they're always having fun they're always playing games they're like hanging out and stuff but I could never be there but on the other hand something I didn't I wasn't too fond about about the international Japanese exchange students is the fact that they only hung out with themselves. Like, even though they're in New Zealand, they only talk Japanese and stuff, which I thought was such a 
waste of opportunity because you're in New Zealand, you know. There's so many things you can experience using the English language and stuff. And I felt kind of bad. So I think that's why I couldn't relate to both sides. Mm -hmm. But by coming to university, a lot of people seem to have struggled the same thing. And I'm really happy that I could relate to those people. Yeah. And conversations like this really open up more Mm. stories, right? For sure, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you, Emika? Um, I think both of your stories are really great. Um, yeah, I think I was raised a little bit special. Um, my parents are very aware of identity and like well, the importance of that. Like ever since I was a kid, really. So um, my like my mom would like go out of her way and like organize um, for me to go to Japan and New Zealand and like during my school holidays, I'd go to school here um, so that I could have like experience going to school in Japan and New Zealand even though I didn't live in those in those countries and how long were you at school in Japan um so I did that for about three years I went to school in Japan over my summer holidays for about three months yeah so I just went to school all year and then um (laughs) my winter break I would come to Invercargill and go to school at like a farm school where my grandparents lived um for about two three months and then I'll go back to school in wherever I was so either Hong Kong Singapore Malaysia yeah that's so cool I mean like you experience school in a different country which is like part of your identity I mean that must have like strengthened some of your beliefs and your values as well oh yeah so growing up I was I was pretty confident in who I was um with Japan and being mixed there's a term that people use to refer to us called half and which just implies that um the half Japanese part is the most important part and the other half is kind of insignificant um which I thought was pretty funky. Um, but yeah, like, um, and a lot of half kids, I guess, do struggle with that because they they've never had the opportunity to engage with the other side that they're half of. But um, like I said, I was very fortunate to be raised by my mom, who just is incredible and was like, you need to learn all of these things. I will send you away and you can do all these things. So yeah, yeah. I think I was pretty fortunate when I was... Yeah, because yeah. yeah, you had a lot of social support around you. Like a different question from both of you. Um, when you were in Japan, did you struggle to be a half? Again, I think I was pretty fortunate in where I was. Um, so I lived in Japan from ages like two till seven or eight, something like that. Um, so I did go to school in Japan when I was a kid. Um, I went to a Buddhist kindergarten, actually, um, at a temple and everything. And then I left to go to Hong Kong. And then my mom was like, oh, I'll put you back in the same school that you used to go to when you were a kid. So I got to go back to school with all my friends um, that I had, like, you know, grown up with. Where I was in Japan, there was a lot of half kids in the area. So I think it was just quite common that you had half kids running around with full Japanese kids, I guess. That's so cool. I feel like you should write a book or something. (laughs) (laughs) What a cool life, you know? Like, um, I think, is that also why you're interested in history? Because you've, like, traveled places and lived places. I think that is, for sure, something that plays into it. Wow. Amazing. Oh, wow. Um, Yes, so as you heard, it's such a diverse group in the room right now. Let's play a song. And so, hey, you brought a song for us to play. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about the song? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a song by um, Yuasobi called Gunjo. Um, it's a song that my friend, um, my Korean friend, um, my actually flatmate introduced to me. And it's like a, I think it's a really, really nice song about youth and the uncertainty of the future. So I hope you guys enjoy it. It's quite catchy. All right. So we'll be right back. Ah, <laughs> Yoruko ekyo mo shibuya no machini asaka fun 
and you're back on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM. We are here with three Japanese students, Jess, uh, Sohei, and Emika, uh, and we're talking about Japanese wellness and well-being. Um, really interesting conversation we're going to have. Let's talk about how you guys currently take care of your well-being, you know, just like normally. <laughs> I guess as a psychology student, I try to take care of my well-being, but I often realize I don't do it until it's too late and I feel burnt out already. Mm-hmm. But in my if, like normal life, I try to go to yoga once or twice a week, and I guess that's a form of relaxing the body, and I find it's a good time to meditate. I go to the Oyase one, which is two hours, so it's good to switch off and just think about um, just like stretching out your body, and I find that really helps me get through the week. I'm also Christian, so I go to church on Sundays, and that's also, for me, I guess it like is good to be connected with the, my spiritual side, mm-hmm. and also praying um, is quite I guess it's sort of a form of meditation as well just yeah. um, taking time out to reflect on the day and I also like to swim I don't go enough but when I um, go swimming I feel really relaxed and refreshed I guess because I've I've taken swimming lessons since I was like five years old and I used to do swimming competitively I guess I just really like swimming that's actually a lot of things yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling very like oh my god I have to do that <laughs> good good on you <laughs> what um, so hey what do you do for your oh, well-being just, like it's kind of hard talking after Jess. <laughs> to be honest. We should have saved her for yeah. last. Um, I don't know. I I usually just um, focus on my hobbies, and I think that's a really good way for my mental health to balance out my work um, and social and all that stuff. But uh, for example, uh, one of my hobbies that I really like doing is taking photo photos and stuff. So sometimes I might just go on a trip to like the beach or something and take sunset photos. That's something I really like doing recently. But even then, it's just taking photos but also involves a little bit of exercise just walking around and breathing that fresh like salt water air you know and Mm. I think that's quite nice Um, I love listening to music as well actually just like sitting down and just like isolating yourself from the outside and yeah but I think my go-to thing or form of meditation or health well-being mental health well-being is just focusing on things outside my responsibility doing fun stuff yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Emika? Damn, you guys have like a lot of hobbies, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess like yeah, what I like to do I guess is surround myself with, you know, my buds, my friends. Um, yeah, in my spare time. That is a very extroverted way of <laughs> know, being. Yeah. I'm not even that extroverted. Um but yeah, so I do spend time to myself and like in my alone time I guess I like to read books because uh-huh. again I study history mm. I'm a little, a little bit of a nerd like that mm. but um, yeah so I'll read books about history and stuff you know but also be with my friends and really like vibe off that you can see how diverse that is <laughs> I think it's from like there's like spectrum of introversion to extroversion <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah. exciting yeah I think I can relate more to Jess except for all the fitness side <laughs> like um, I meditate and I journal a lot I think that's how I take care of my well-being just being aware of my thoughts mm. and I think today we're gonna learn a whole new set of 
different well-being practices. So let's talk about the article, Japanese Way to Wellness and Well-Being. So what do you guys think about the article? For me, I guess it's good to be mindful about all these things. And to be honest, I hadn't heard about like these practices like Ikigai until this summer when I was going through self-care and well-being books at the Queenstown Library because I guess my mum has talked about Halu Hachibu, the um, eat till you're 80% full. And I guess that's just sort of advice she's given me. Um, but the other things it was good to read about because I never thought about it. And it's really good to just be mindful of different things you can do to take care of your mental and like physical health and all that. Yeah, and people have practiced this for like probably hundreds of years and it's been brought down. And I think if it worked back then, it could still work now, which is really yeah. interesting yeah. for us to talk about. Oh, thank you. Um, so, hey? Yeah, actually, when I read the article, I was actually quite surprised in a way because... I lived in Japan for a bit as well and I realized that a lot of the things that talked about in the article were almost like integrated into the daily routine of a typical Japanese person. It made me realize, oh wow, maybe Japanese people do take good care of themselves because I didn't realize this was like a, you know, like a form of uh, mental healthness until the article pointed out. I was like, oh yeah, that's actually a good way to take care of yourself. But it was so normal as a daily Japanese person. So I was like, it was just really interesting and surprising for me that the article pointed out. Yeah, and like those practices actually have names for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like just said about uh, Hara Hachibu. Mm. Like um, you thought that it would probably just be your mom advising you to stop <laughs> eating. <laughs> but actually, there's a whole reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, very interesting, yeah. And Emika? I had the exact same response. Um, I, like, first off, I was, like, surprised they had, like... To see it, like, conceptualized under, like, one title. Because mm-hmm. I've been practicing all these things all my life, you know? Like, it's just ingrained in who I am and, and how I do everything. So, like, seeing it, like, bracketed under, under Ikigai as well mm-hmm. kind of blew my mind. But I was like, I can, I can see it. I understand. Like, I guess we do do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exciting. And a lot of you mentioned about Ikigai. I, too, practiced Ikigai, especially during my studies. Um, So let's talk about Ikigai. So the concept of Ikigai is linked to a person's purpose and values, and it actually translates to the reason you get up in the morning. So there's a book on Ikigai, and also if you search Ikigai, there's a lot of, like, diagrams where you can fill in, like, templates. And I did that once... um, for my studies so there's like four circles which you would write on and uh, what overlaps is your ikigai these circles are firstly what you're good at and then what the world needs what you can be paid for and what you love so these four things overlap is your value and the reason you get up in the morning um, very interesting right and Jess you did mention about ikigai um, for a bit what what's your take on it I think what you mentioned about the diagram that's really good idea because I think for me purpose um just like thinking about why I get up in the morning I guess it's very fluid it changes but I would like to have a specific thing in mind because I guess in your uni life it's probably you just like get up and go to your classes and if you're like me you'll just like get up um the latest (laughs) you can (laughs) to um get to your classes and just not take like time in the morning 
because I think being mindful, something I would like to do is to have a bit more time in the morning to reflect my purpose and just like to think about my goals for the day. And to achieve that is a good morning routine, right? Yeah. Um, Emika, you mentioned about that you actually practice ikigai um well i thought it was like an interesting thing so i've never seen it conceptualized in that way with like the diagrams and everything i think for me it just comes innately so seeing it in that way yeah i don't know how to describe it it was just like a weird like oh this is how it works was it your parents who thought you about ikigai anything that you realized from back then that actually is about ikigai i you know like the things that were listed in the article um a lot of them i do experience it's yeah. just so normalized yeah interesting yeah and like like i said i grew up in a temple so you know you would go to like little temple services and they would talk about like you know yeah because i'm not i'm not religious um i not i'm not buddhist or shinto but i do have that i think we were all raised on the understanding that you know there's there's a greater being out there and um and the whole like what was one of the points like what the world needs hmm. I think was really drilled into me as a kid so it was like you can't just think about yourself you gotta think about what the world needs mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that so it's yeah it's just really ingrained in me really and so hey what do yeah, you think? Um, I was just like it's the Venn diagram looking um, thing right the four mm-hmm. components I think yeah actually after looking at some of those articles and stuff um I realized that I should def- I should definitely focus more on the um, what the world needs, but I've definitely thought a lot about the other three components, which is uh, paid well, uh, what you love, what I love, and what you're good at. What I'm good at, yeah. yeah. So those three, um, and I think something that really gets me up in the morning is just like thinking about like my future in terms of oh, this would be such a cool lifestyle to achieve and stuff, and one of that is. Basically, how you know how I said my hobbies is a way for me to keep my well-being maintained. So I realized doing hobbies is quite expensive as well, and um, depending on the hobbies, you know, like <laughs> it costs a lot, and also time as well, time and money. So I realized that. I put a focus almost on the hobby side. Be like, okay, if I want to achieve these hobbies, what do I need to do? And then that came up with the whole dentistry thing because I've heard about a lot of good work to lifestyle balance and stuff. So, you know, I, I know I said that I love meeting patients and stuff, and that's definitely another drive for me to do dentistry. But I think the biggest draw for me for dentistry was the fact that the good um, work to life balance I could use those time to put into my um, hobbies and stuff yeah it sounds a little bit dodgy but I know that dentistry is on the well paying side so I could use that money to help support significant other if I have kids in the future I would like to take them to like you know like nice places like travel around the world or like that's why yeah I would I love thinking about oh my career is actually um, helping me achieve my goals or like the lifestyle I want in the future that is a very positive goal mindset you know thank you yeah, yeah. and you've definitely put a lot of thought into it yeah yeah, yeah especially because um, I did undergrad for physiology so there was a lot of time for me to think and I, I, I personally recommend if anyone out there is studying health science or something to do undergrad just to Reevaluate why you want to do a medical profession because medical profession is definitely quite like a commitment mm, yeah. yeah and I think it's really empowering as well because you didn't give up when you <laughs> built your UMET test yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. thank uh, you yeah I, I try my best yeah so we can see how um 
you know, we've had discussions on Ikigai and I think a lot of us do uh, practice that in one way or another. Hara Hachibu, Jess, do you want to introduce that conversation? Yeah, as I kind of define it, Halu Hachibu means eating till you're 80% full and... It's something my mum would say because I guess if you eat really fast or are eating a lot, sometimes they say it doesn't, it takes you like 10 minutes after the meal or unless you like drink fluids with it, you can like overeat and then feel not good afterwards, like have a stomach ache. I didn't know it was a real philosophy kind of thing and I guess it's just a Japanese concept and looking into it, you do notice that the Japanese are conscious about their health. They don't talk about diets, so I guess what I notice when I go back to Japan is that the serving sizes are a bit smaller so I guess the mindset is that you can treat yourself like have snacks or desserts but in smaller portions in like western sort of um, countries so I guess yeah it's just like thinking about health and everyday life yeah exactly what about you Amika is this something you practice back home yeah so one of the things that really shocked me was when I got here and the serving sizes being like massive um, as a kid, yeah, that's something that I did think. Um, but I think think food in Japan is like a big thing, and showing appreciation towards your food is a big thing. Um, so in Japan, we have these two two words, itadakimasu and uh, gochisousama, which you can't really translate into any other language. It's uniquely Japanese. Like the Italians, I guess, have like bon appetit, which is like please eat. But itadakimasu is more like like showing appreciation towards whoever prepared your food, whoever like got the resources together to get your food, um, or like the animals that like you know you were eating and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. just to show appreciation to everything in the process. And I think Harahachibu would also have that kind of incorporated incorporated in it as well, just showing appreciation to the food that you have, not to overindulge. And like the process of eating must be taken slowly so that you can have time to appreciate and not yeah. rush the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I got out of that. Yeah. <laughs> so hey. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I definitely haven't practiced the um, Harahachibu thing. I eat way too much. <laughs> I I actually um, like what Emika said that. Maybe the harahachibu, yeah, of course, it's like good for your physical health. Overeating and stuff would definitely cause like further on like diseases or whatever, and diseases or whatever, and could be harmful for your body and stuff. But with regards to the, um, maybe it's a little bit of stretch, but I feel like the harahachibu is also in a way um, talking about the humbleness of Japanese nature because um, I feel like. In today's society, we grab tend to like overtake what we can achieve. Like, what do you call it? Bite more than you chew. Is it is it a thing you say here? <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Better get what you mean. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like the whole harachibu is just staying humble, um, showing appreciation of what you already have. Is I think is what the concept is trying to convey. Yeah. Maybe I'm stretching a little bit. No, yeah. I think it's beautiful because you appreciate what's already in front of you, like the food that's in front of you, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of thinking of what's not in front of you or like if you want more mm. or, yeah. Very different things and like really interesting conversations about food as well. Let's talk about Shinrin Yoku. I had a conversation about this. Uh, it means forest bathing with someone on the Arenality. And yeah, have you guys heard about Shinrin Yoku? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Shinrin Yoku is basically, yeah, as Arena said, it's um, forest bathing. And maybe it's just putting yourself in that whole like nature and connecting to the um, 
natural environment and stuff because I think in Japan especially it's quite、um, urbanized and there's not much green left in certain areas like big areas like Tokyo, Osaka, and all those places. So I think it's like bringing you back to. Like bringing you down to earth almost.、Mm. Yeah, I think that's what I got from the article. Yeah, I think you've really hit it on the head.、Um, I think that's what it is, really.、Uh, just giving yourself time to be on your own and to think and just enjoy the simple things like nature. Yeah, like, so Hay brought up a good point with the city. I never thought about that because my like, grandparents' home is a bit more in the countryside, so I guess we're fortunate enough to be able to visit more of those. Rural areas with a bit more nature, but it makes sense because I know, like, for my own wellness, being connected to nature is really good. And then you can imagine,、um, I don't know, with the forest scenery, that can be really good for your like, physical and like, mental health. I remember the conversation I had with my friend、uh, about Shinryoku was that it was something the government started,、uh, it's like a campaign for because people were stressed. Something happened, I don't remember when, it was part of history. Some people were stressed, so they started this campaign of Shinryoku so people would go to the forest as part of their well being. I think that's a really creative and interesting way as well.、Yeah. And from the article, it says that Shinryoku it is for the sole purpose of being in the forest. So it doesn't matter what you're doing there, like, you don't have to like, sit still or anything. But it's just being there, bring your children, play, you know, it's just being immersed in the forest.、Um. Can I add on top of that a little bit? I think I, something I just realized is that in Japan, especially with the current situation with COVID and stuff, it's really, really difficult to go outside with lockdown and stuff. So I really, really appreciate the fact that in New Zealand, we're on a safer region and that we can like, go do shininyoku, like li- literally, we can do it right now, go outside and bathe in the environment and stuff. So I think this was like. Also, made me appreciate New Zealand a little bit more. Exactly, yeah. And it doesn't have to be in a forest in Japan. We can do it anywhere, <laughs>、yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah, so for our listeners out there, you can do Shinrin Yoku anywhere. Go to the gardens, right? Yeah. Botan's、yeah. mm. a nice time as well. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, spring will be warmer. Oh, yeah, yeah that's so good. <laughs> um, yes. Let's talk about,、uh, I don't think I can pronounce this, Yuimaru. Is that right? It means the circle? Yuimaru, yeah. Yuimaru.、Um, I'll be honest with you, this is my first time reading it because、um, I read the article and it seemed like it was a、um, language from the Okinawa region.、Mm. And Okinawa historically is known for a little bit being further from Japan. It's on the South Island and it's got the. Almost like own native language and stuff. So, for people that、um, live in the Honshu area, which is the mainland area of Japan, sometimes it's really、uh, difficult for them to understand their language. But、mm. they've, all, they've got their unique, diverse tradition, and it's really, really cool. Oh,、yeah. and what about you two? Have you heard about?、Um, yeah, so he's right.、Um, yeah, because I'm from Tokyo and Osaka, it's not something I've come across myself. But、uh, yeah, I can see them, people I know from Okinawa、mm. reading it. I'm like, yeah, I can see them doing all of these things. Interesting. Yeah.、Um, can you explain what those things are?、Um, They're just like,、um, so I used to work at a ski field、um, in the middle of nowhere.、Uh, but a bunch of people from Okinawa used to work there. But they, they used to operate on like a different vibe entirely from the rest of us. 
Um, and they're always like happy and they're always like with their people and they were just like you know like you, you couldn't do anything to them to like upset them and I thought, I thought it was fascinating but reading this like it makes a lot more sense now oh it's something yeah. they practice like normally and we're just reading this from an article wow but you just yeah I hadn't come across it either and I guess I'm not too like connected with the Okinawa people but Yeah, it's, like, good to learn about. I guess, like, the different regions of, like, Japan are quite different as well from Okinawa to, like, the north, like, Hokkaido. Mm -hmm. How, like, everyone incorporates, I don't know, just, like, cool traditions or just, like, ways of life. Mm. And that's very interesting, right? Um, I'll read from the article. So, Yumaru, you may pronouncing it correctly, yeah. Yumairu, um, is the concept that centers around the circle of people, regardless of what kind of people they are. Um, and something that relates to Yumairu is that I think peop- a lot of people have heard about this. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, so it's choosing that five people, not five, but like... Mm that circle of friends really make you who you are um, sometimes I reflect on this on my journal like who did I spend most time with this week and usually it's the people I work with which yeah. are really good people yeah. which <laughs> um, helps me with my personal well-being as well but do you guys ever think about that like your friends everyone's looking at Emika is it because <laughs> yeah <laughs> friendships are <laughs> Um, no, definitely. I do think my friends do reflect who I am as a person. Um, I think, you know, the people that you hang out with, you know, you're going to grow together and you're going to, you know, bounce ideas off each other and you're going to learn from each other. So I think it's really important to have people that are, you know, people you value and the people that you respect mm. surrounding you. Yeah. Yeah. I love my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the people who just show positive energy, which, you know, isn't bringing you down in any way. Yeah, exactly. Huh. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about onsen. I feel like oh, man. this is oh. something a lot of people know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> oh, so yeah. good. I have never done an onsen. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I feel so left out. Like, oh. <laughs> You must try it. It's so good. I feel like I yeah. should. Um So maybe you want to talk about onsen? Just, onsen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, onsen is just like a... It's definitely one of the really famous um, daily routines of a typical Japanese person. Onsen refers to a hot spa. Um, it's usually... There's different types of spa as well, like sento and actual um, natural spring waters and stuff. But like uh, sento is... Uh, sorry, there's just like tap water, hot tap water and stuff. But I think it's just um, bathing, soaking yourself in hot water and relaxing. And yeah, you also um, bathe together in public as well. That's a thing. My, my, uh, maybe like Western country be like why, why are you bathing together it's like kind of <laughs> weird and to be honest I agree with that first time I went back to, back, back to Japan I've been you know been to onsen so many times but after three years went back it was a bit hard for me to get undressed in front of all these um, random strangers and stuff But I realized that even like with your mates and stuff, some people just go to onsen together. And it's like a really, really nice way to chill. And I'm pretty sure not just in Japan as well, didn't the Greeks and stuff do that in the history as well? Like 
that was bathing was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that was a thing. Yeah. Um. Mm. Uh, I might read a, a, like a part of the article, which yeah. is like real interesting because you mentioned about like uh, being undressed for the yes. uh, onsen. So be the onsen gives you space for self contemplation, or if you're enjoying the uh, community onsen, connecting with others through mindful conversation. When people are sitting together in an onsen, strip bare of clothes meaning like material wealth and status so everyone is like equal because no one's wearing anything it's like yeah so it's not just about like being naked but also you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position where you don't have anything with you except yourself that is such an interesting way right to think about that yeah i think that's a really cool point being vulnerable and i guess that's like really beneficial for your well-being to sort of metaphorically kind of just like let everything go and like Mm. um i guess bathing is like it's just ingrained in japanese culture like it doesn't have to be a proper onsen retreat although i have like done that but even just um the japanese usually have a hot bath like every night Mm. and it's common to just like it might sound weird, but just like sheer the hot water, you kind of, um, and it's sort of about respect if it's just a normal like bath in your home, you like just take turns and then you're like, oh, you can go in the bath first. And then I guess that's nice for a family to just be close. Yeah. Although, like, I have gone to a retreat and it depends on the place, but um, a place I went to a few years ago had, it was in the countryside, and um, we got there and we slept in a big room with tatami mats, and it was about eight of us or so, so like all of us just like sleeping on the, um, just like futon mattresses on the floor, and then we had a really big um, dinner there were like seven courses or something like little bits of each Mm. food and then after that we went in the onsen Um, and sometimes there's even like a sauna connected so I guess that's it's the whole that's like to the extreme (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. it's It's the whole experience of being with people mm, I guess like yeah, it's good to connect with your family or it's pretty common to go with sports teams mm. to an onsen. And I guess it brings you closer to the people you're with and also it's just really good to immerse yourself in the experience and I guess being like vulnerable and sort of like you can let go of like your problems or like responsibilities and just enjoy your time away yeah well thank you for sharing that um i definitely learned a lot today and so we're gonna wrap up this show before we do that we might go around and share briefly um the things you learned today and you know the things you hope to do after um this interview one of the biggest things I learned today was the for me personally was the cultural identity part it was just at this first half of the um, for first half of this talk but I I realised that 
hey, there's people out there like me as well, like from Jess, Amy Khan stuff, and I really like how um, Jess and I were really, really similar in the fact that we struggled a little bit in high school, but we came to realize our identity in uni, whereas Emika, she's already been, um, di- you know, she's already super diverse, like she's been to different countries, she's been to Japan, um, New Zealand, and all the other East, Southeast Asian countries as well, and the fact that she, even though she's gone to so many more other countries than Jess and I, she already had this um, really good understanding of her identity already from the young age, and I really respect that. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. And you, Jess? Um, I guess in general, what the um, Imika and Sohei were saying at the start about these practices being already ingrained into Japanese wellness, it's good to... We're like fortunate enough to be a part of like the Japanese culture, and there's all these things that we take advantage of, um, and we've been like privileged enough to experience. And I guess it's good to um, look at it in New Zealand and sort of think about the things you can take into your everyday life. And I guess for me, um, I hadn't heard about ikigai until. A couple months ago, and I think I would like to apply it more to my life and just think about how my values and just the reasons I get out of the bed in the morning, how it overlaps. I think I would like to, I don't know, be more purposeful in these practices. Yeah, thank you. And you? Oh, yeah, back to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, definitely what you said about the whole culture thing um, I thought was great because, you know, I didn't grow up here. Oh, I didn't grow up here, and to see how you guys had to struggle with, you know, finding your culture identities um, was, you know, eye-opening, I guess. And what you said about, like, the whole, um, like, trying to apply guys to our daily lives in New Zealand, I think. Um, I'm going to walk away with that and really think about it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think what's interesting is that all these practices Japanese people do you can practice here it's like you can practice anywhere yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah that's something I want the listeners listening um, to know as well that you know if you're curious about it you can do more research and mm-hmm. meet Japanese people you know and like be friends with them and talk to them about things they practice because they might not realize it's a thing like mm-hmm. it might be so normalized to them right mm-hmm. yeah. Yay! Um, thank you so much, guys, for being here today. Really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Mm, thank you. It was really so fun. Nice, yeah. Thanks for listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.